And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I, I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. Janky toy. Yo, what's up, dude? What's going on? I've been so stoked for this because I have so many questions for you. Oh, thanks, man. I'm really excited to be here and do it. I gotta give myself my oh little air horn intro. Yeah, no one else has had that, so you win. <laughs> Trademark annoyance. Before we start, remember I sent you that message. Can you do me a solid? He won the contest. Can you shout him out? Well, easily shout him out because his work is great. He's a super good dude. He's got a figure called Basic Cable, which is Cable from the X-Men, but he's got like cable, like TV cables for hands, uh, which is genius. And I'm angry I didn't come up with the idea. And that is Toxic Fume Toys. Boom. Toxic Fume Toys, you're the man. Love Shout it. out, dude. Love it. You know, what's crazy is I ran that giveaway probably like two, three weeks ago. And I like in my, I have the schedule of who I'm going to record with. And I went down the list and I was like, who do I want to shout this guy out? <laughs> <laughs> and it was me. Well, yeah, I landed on you. you. I'm sorry you didn't get a better shout out than Janky Toys. <laughs> but, uh, so awesome. welcome to Toys on Tap. This Thanks, is man. all about you. Sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we don't need an introduction, but we do need an introduction. Let's start out. Who are you? Uh, my name is Chris. I am better known as Janky Toys or just Janky. Uh, I am an artist and toy maker, uh, lives in Southern California, Orange County area. Uh, and I've been doing this since I think I put my first toy out in 2014. Uh, so I discovered it in 2013 uh, and been making stuff since 2014. I'm probably best known for my severed limbs figures, which are all of the arms that have been cut off from the Star Wars movies. So like Wampa and Ponda Baba and Darth Maul's legs and Count Dooku's head and hands and absolutely you name it. I've made a terrible toy out of it. Um, <laughs> that's probably what I'm best known for, but I've been doing it for a long time. So I got a lot of weird, weird crap under my belt. I love that. So you, you're an artist. I love that you first started out. You're an artist. So if we could talk about that little portion. Yeah. So you're an artist and that's a, a big term. That's kind of a catch all. What does that mean for you? And then why did you start doing toys? I mean, honestly, it took me a long time to say I'm an artist. In fact, okay. I probably didn't even start calling myself an artist without quotes written around it until like 2018. Yeah. Because um, imposter syndrome is like a real thing, you know, mm -hmm. like it's really easy to think, oh, look at all these other people. They're better than me or they make more money than me doing that or whatever. And Absolutely. Event eventually, I just sort of came 
to the conclusion that if I'm doing it, if I'm making things and I'm getting joy from doing it, like that's the artistic process. Yeah. Um, I kind of define art as the physical manifestation of the artist's point of view, right? So uh, there's a lot of different ways to make art. It's so long as your point of view is put into it and you're creating something that expresses, physically expresses that point of view, that's art. That's why food is art. That's why music is art. That's why mm. writing is art. That's why sculpture is art. That's why painting is art. It's this huge thing. It's this huge creative process. So, but I think it, people are afraid to call themselves artists because there's a big connotation about, I don't spend X number of hours doing this or I don't make X number of dollars doing it. So am yeah. I an artist, you know? Um, and I just hit a point in 2018 where like, I don't know. I just felt like, I, I love this so much. I love what I do so much. Why am I putting quotes on it? Why won't I just call myself an artist? You yeah. know, like I make stuff. People seem to like a lot of what I make. People have a place to look at it. I'm an artist. Cool. So I've just learned to embrace that. <laughs> yeah. And from the outside, it, it looks like artists encapsulate so much because you do so much for like the toy scene and you're with Dove and doing all that kind of stuff. But then you're also like, I saw that you put a painting in yeah. E2K's show. And so yeah. like, that's just like, that's a catch all for me that I kind of just throw random stuff in. But yeah. for you on the outside, it actually looks like you're embodying this idea of I'm an artist. This is what I do. I'm trying. I mean, I like, I certainly think you can put hobbyist next to it. Hobbyist artist. Cause yeah. I do, you know, I do it when I have time to, or when I feel like it, but yeah. Um, you know, I don't like, um, my mom is an incredible visual artist. She's a watercolor painter. She was an art teacher my whole life. And she always like was really actively trying to push us towards art. And like, I just, I fought it so hard. Yeah. Cause I, like, I can't draw. I wasn't good at painting. Like I just, I wasn't good at these things. I was always a performing artist. So I sang and like did like, I don't know, dumb plays, whatever. Like I was, a, I was an onstage person. Can we pause real um, quick? Yeah. Do you have any of those things memorized in your head? Any script? Oh, God. At any point during this interview, if you remember it, <laughs> I want to hear it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to sing. Uh, <laughs> that was what I mostly did was singing. And, like, I wasn't much of an actor. Uh, I got cast in the role of Dogberry from Much Ado About Nothing, which is a yeah. Shakespeare play. And it's supposed to be the comic relief. And, and like, a lot of people wanted the role. And I wasn't like, I didn't do a lot of acting and I got cast in it. I think a lot of people were angry that I got cast in it. And I totally <laughs> shat the bed, man. I was so terrible <laughs> at that part. It's like the part everybody wanted in that show. And I was just God awful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, acting was not my forte. <laughs> 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 uh, but I was on stage a lot and and particularly with singing. Like um, I sang since I was, a, I was a kid. I was a music major for a year um, mm. until I realized that uh when I had to do it I didn't love it that's the theme of my life is once I have to do something it becomes very difficult for me to do it yes <laughs> which is um, tough with art because so yeah. much of it's like people saying like do this for me yeah 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 totally and and I'm sure we'll get to that later in the interview but uh so to backtrack to my my mom so she I think like because she was so talented um and because I was always performing, like doing music and stuff, I just never thought that was something I could do. Yeah. And then in 2008, for some reason, I was home visiting them in Colorado and she was painting and one of my sisters was home and she was painting. And I was just like, screw it, I'm going to paint too. Mm. And I loved it. I loved it. Like fell in love immediately. So yeah. I actually started painting. Um, 
and sort of portraits and you know whether it's good or not is totally up for debate but I really enjoy the process of doing that um and then but I've always like I've always been a very imaginative person I've always been I've loved toys since I was a kid Mm -hmm. I wasn't a collector so much when I was a kid I bought them and ripped them open and played with them until they were just busted into a million pieces like that was what I did and then in college um I sort of started becoming more of a collector I was always a comic book collector so that was in me but in college, when the Power of the Force two figures came out, mm-hmm. I had sold off all my Star Wars toys to my cousin. Oh. Uh, and then when I tried to get them back, he wouldn't sell them back to me because he was smarter than me. Uh, so I went and started rebuying the Power of the Force ones because it was like rebuying my childhood. So even though I was taking those out of the packages, that was that was a bit more of a collection for me. Um, so I've always had a really strong affinity for toys because i spent a lot of time playing with toys transformers and he-man and, and all that stuff um so as i was start painting more um i was i really liked the show work of art uh which i believe was on a and e the yeah. reality show and suck lord was a competitor uh one season and i'd read an article about him right before that season and then watched that season i was like holy shit i can make toys Mm-hmm. like i can i can combine this sort of artistic need that i've discovered through painting and then like this thing that i just loved from my childhood which was toys and that was kind of it for me like uh i went to decon that year where Sucklord set up and i met a bunch of people and got resin and started wasting it trying to figure out how to do this <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and one thing i will say is like and this sounds so bullshitty and pretentious and i don't mean it to but i'm not sure what i make are toys Okay. I think what I made are pieces that take on the form of toys, right? Because mm-hmm. to me, a toy is something you play with. And if you take my pieces out of the blister, you have just completely ruined the piece because the backing card and the figure, the whole pre- presentation to me is what the piece is. So if you take the card, the piece off of the blister or out of the blister and off of the card, it probably isn't going to work as well because I tend to j- design everything to, to work together as one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this, like it sounds pretentious and I don't mean it to, but I don't, know that I would say I'm a toy artist so much as I'm an artist that makes things in the genre of toys or that resemble toys. Yeah. Um, I find it, I struggle uh, constantly trying to think, because you see like people like Dollar Slice, who's doing the great magnetic articulation. Mm-hmm. You have one mm-hmm. pony and um, toys that if you held, you could play with them. Like a kid yeah. could really play with them. I struggle with making toys that a kid could play with. Right. And because right. uh, I remember I've talked about it on the podcast before, but um, I used to have this Iceman figure that was blue, had these crazy extensions you could click right. on. Yeah. And I played the shit out of it, like just constantly <laughs> like and it never got loose. It was always a great figure. And the I think like the imposter thing that I struggle with constantly is when I want to make a toy that's actually playable. Mm-hmm. I have that in the back of my head. That's like it will never be that good. Right. So just make a piece that just sits on a wall. Right. Right. Yeah. And and look, there's definitely like part of being an artist, I think, or part of developing a style as an artist mm-hmm. is defined through your your drawbacks, right? Through the things you're not good at. I think I think as much of style comes out of what you're bad at as it comes out of what you're good at. Because mm. you're finding ways to work around things. You're finding ways to like, oh, I'm terrible at painting this, so I'm just not going to do it. Well, how else can I approach that so I don't have to paint that? Right. Yeah. It's the it's the the Rob Liefeld theory for comics fans. I'm not good at feet, so I don't draw feet. I just draw smoke, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> and that becomes part of your style. 
and so for me, like, I like, I'm staring at the toys right now. Um, I like doing the figures. I love the casting. I love creating. I love the ideation. I love the, I don't love mold making. I hate mold making, but uh, I like painting the figures. I like the whole process. Mm-hmm. But if I were to take most of my figures and just look at them, I'm like, yeah, that's all right. That's another Keanu Reeves figure. But when I put mm-hmm. it on the card back with the crazy Mark Todd art, then I'm like, this is a totally different thing, right? When I take 21B, I make for the I, I did a series called A Medical Droid You Ruined My Birthday, <laughs> the worst gift ever. Um, yeah. and it's got uh, for those that haven't seen it, the card art has a kid holding a 21B and crying in front of his birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and 21B is my favorite design in Star Wars. I love that character, but also part of why I love it so much is because nobody needs to own one if you're playing Star Wars, right? Yeah. Like who wants to be the medical droid? No, I want to be Yoda or I want to be Han. No, I'm yeah. not going to be the dude that fixes you. I'm going to heal you to death. That doesn't, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, so it's just dumb. It's a dumb action figure to make because you can't really play with it, right? Mm-hmm. But they sure as heck made it because they make everything. Um, so I made this toy that's the medical droid. Uh, and so that in Star Wars font, it says a medical droid you ruined my birthday. And then it has the kid crying and the name of the toy is the worst gift ever. And I cast medical droids and I painted them. And so they're all handmade, but it's just a medical droid. Yeah. Until you put it on that card back, it's it's just a medical droid. When you put it on the card back, it becomes this old, this totally different piece, which is funny because you know it's about childhood expectation, it's about being a dickhead as a child, <laughs> like spoiled. It's about uh, how Star Wars makes every character under the sun an action figure. I mean, it's about like three yeah. or four different things, but until you put it on the card back, it's not about that. So. I have no idea how we got here. I've just rambled our way into like a bizarre cul-de-sac. The, the, the perfect, perfect, perfect. You know, what's crazy is like, you said something right there that I kind of want to tangent on. Like Star Wars makes every character under yeah. the sun. And I yeah. can't tell you how many like Facebook groups I'm in where people are like, it'll come up every once in a while. We're like, well, Star Wars never made this. How did you find the one most obscure thing that they never made? And one of the, like, there was a guy that... um designed a bantha mm-hmm. but he designed it so that star wars did make that that figure i believe right a giant uh-huh. one and he was like no i want one that's around the three uh quarter i was like it's a beast though like everything in star wars is giant right if it's a beast and he was like nope i want they never made it and i wanted it as a kid you sucked as a kid <laughs> <laughs> And so I, yeah, I think Star Wars, they've created so many things. And I think that's what's so cool about using them um, to make your own characters. And yeah. stuff. Because like, there's not a body I can't find between them and like G.I. Joe figures. I can find right. every body type. Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and I like, I've made a lot of Star Wars work, obviously. Yeah. Like, um, because like most of us, like it is a crucial turning point in my life. I was born in 1977. So even mm. though I was an infant when the movie was out, like it's Star Wars has been part of my life since the beginning of my life, literally, mm. you know? Um, so I, I gravitate towards it cause I love it, but it also is just the, the design of them is so iconic and they are so easy to work with that. I understand why it's like the easy entry point for people, you know, to, to go to. And I've made a lot of Star Wars pieces. I've done nine, not counting variations, I think there's nine different severed limbs. I've done the medical droid. I did, uh, Will wrote, talking about characters who they made figures of that, <laughs> why? Will wrote Hood, yeah. who uh, is on screen for like 14 seconds in Empire Strikes Back. He's the dude running uh, with the, the ice cream maker. You can't see this at home on a podcast. This is terrible, but uh, I'm showing 
Yeah, oh, right here. Yeah, I yeah, made yeah. the ice an ice cream truck called Will Rohood's Ice Cream and put uh -huh. a little thing on the top <laughs> of it. And so like so I did that. Um but I I tried to do a lot of not Star Wars stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um even using Star Wars as a component. So I the point break two figure, which is one of my favorite pieces that I did, yeah, is a Power of the Force Luke Skywalker body that I cut out and put a Power of the Force uh, Episode One C-3PO insides in the chest to look like a robot. And he's got an IG-88 arm and an IG-88 leg. Um, and then I think it's a, a reaction. Uh, yeah, Snake Plissken head for mm. uh, for Bodhi's head. Yeah. Because uh, it's supposed to be Patrick Swayze. But so even when I'm not doing a Star Wars piece, I tend to play with a lot of Star Wars material. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We must crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist-made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures. DKE. But I try to balance <laughs> how yeah. many Star Wars releases I do versus how many non-Star Wars releases I do. Yeah, and so you, you're an artist. Um, you get to the point in which you can call yourself an artist and see so you produce the first figure, which mm -hmm. is... So the very first figure, well, the very, very first figure I made... Yep. Uh, is a uh, hockey goalie with a dinosaur's head on it uh, called Oh Snap Dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> there's a couple. There's a couple entry places where where most people go and they start right. Like Star yep. Wars is a really easy one. Uh, starting lineup action figures is another one because you chop off the head and you do a head swap and it looks like this hilarious thing. So that yep. was actually the very first piece I made. Um, from there, I started molding. Um, Cosmos, who's my favorite Transformer, mm -hmm. uh, he's a little UFO, and I started, I made a mold of him and was casting little resin UFOs, and I used to do this thing called Free Art Friday, where my wife and I would make art, and we would hide it all over the city of LA, and people, we post clues on Instagram, and people would go find it, and so the first sort of widely released thing I did were these little mini UFOs, the Cosmos UFOs, um, that I called Saucers of the Southland, and there was this little ongoing story with these UFOs blowing up the city, and some crossovers with some other toy makers, yeah. just little things that we were hiding. Um, and doing that free art is what eventually led to Severed Limbs. So I was invited, the, Atlanta is where this free art Friday scene really took off. Mm -hmm. And I got to be friends with a lot of those artists. And uh, they invited me to be part of a May the 5th art show, or May the 4th art show, sorry, where we were gonna make pieces and then hide them. And they uh, hide them around Atlanta. So I made the, the very first Wampa and the very first Ponda Baba seven yeah. times for that art show. Uh, so I sent those to Atlanta and they hid those in Atlanta. And then I made one of each to hide here in LA. Mm -hmm. And um, when I put them up on Instagram, they got like a huge reaction. So I decided, oh, this will be fun. Like I'll make some more. So I decided to do those two. And then I added on... Um, Darth Maul's legs, random C-3PO parts, Darth Vader's hand, and Count Dooku, who's my favorite Sith, mm -hmm. uh, his head and his hands, uh, all the severed limbs. And I thought I would sell like a handful of them. And I put them up 
And uh, somehow the Nerdist got wind of it. So the Nerdist posted about it. The Daily went up. And I had like almost 300 orders in the first. Oh, so. my God. So my first, the first real release I did, the first thing I put up to sell, like exploded. Yeah. Um, and they so were very... 25 bucks a pop like 20, bucks. 20 bucks a piece yeah like they were pretty Ooh. pretty cheap and there's they're smaller like the, i think the cards are like five by six so they're yeah. smaller pieces um and the limbs are you know uh three and three quarter size i didn't take them from the action figures though. i took a lot of them from other sources so like mm. mini busts and stuff like that so it yeah. wasn't just like the straight wampa arm ripped off of a figure but um but yeah those exploded man so that was like that entire year was just making freaking severed because <laughs> I got so many orders and I didn't know like yeah. I had just I just put those up I like I had just learned to use a pressure pot a few months before you know yeah. um and so that literally was the rest of the year was, was making severed limbs and those have gone on I've released more like I Luke's hand I saved for the last one because Luke is my favorite Star Wars character yeah um I did some weird ones like I did the Sarlacc pit tentacle because it, I don't know if it gets severed, but it gets shot. And I thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I've done a lot of those. So those are the ones that really, that really put me on the map for the severed limbs. Which is crazy, right? Like I, I get so many people on this podcast that have similar stories where they put out this, like their first one. Right. And it just explodes. <laughs> right. And so I'm interested in... It's hard. It, maybe it's a little harder because what year would you say this was? Two thousand. It was fifteen. Two thousand fifteen is when okay. I got separate things. Yeah. So, put yourself back in that spot. You go to bed. You wake up. All of a sudden, you're. I'm assuming your inbox is slammed. You have yeah. people that are ordering. On what did you sell it on at that point? It, it was on my store envy site, uh, which is still up though empty. Um, so yeah, it would have been on store envy that I put it up. But Did you put a limited stock or you just put it up? I was a total dummy. I just put it up. Okay. So, so and I thought I was, like I said, I thought I'd sell like four or five, you know, yeah. and then like woke up to just like the orders just kept coming in. Um, like the first couple of days were a little slow and then it was, but it was within that first week that the Nerdist uh, put out the article. And yeah. as soon as the Nerdist put out the article, it was just a flood of, of, um, of sales. So, so that first emotion, what is that? like anxiety fear happiness. it was it was excitement i was like holy crap this is like i'm a bit of a narcissist so i was like this is amazing everybody loves me um and then it was oh my god i have to make all of these pieces yeah, yeah. Uh, and i like i like i'll be honest it took me till I, I released them on may the 4th that flood of stuff probably came in the second week of may and i didn't close the orders after that because i'm a dummy so it stayed open and things <laughs> kept coming in um the panic just continued yeah it just didn't stop i wasn't smart enough to turn the spigot off for quite a while um so i think i was making severed limbs until like october or november like those orders were super late because it was just like uh, you know and they're not they're not hard pieces to make um it's time yeah there's a face that you have to paint and faces take a lot with dooku's face and then ponda Mm -hmm. baba has a lot of colors in his jacket and his hands and stuff but I didn't want to just throw them in a blister. I wanted to take the time to make sure they looked really good. So, um, of course, the easiest two, uh, which is C-3PO and Darth Maul, 
because uh, it's just one color. So Darth Maul, I just had to spray, spray black and it was done. And C-3PO, I just had to spray gold. Those are the two lowest sellers. So, <laughs> uh, so it's the ones that were very complicated that took more, uh, <laughs> took yeah. more time uh, that, that sold a lot. But yeah, so it was, I mean, it, I think it was a combination of like, I don't know that that really awesome feeling of like people like what I'm doing combined yep. with holy crap now I actually have to do all of this so and it got uh, crazy because you and I talked probably what, like maybe three four weeks ago mm -hmm. and you just slid it into conversation that Mark Hamill has and knows about <laughs> like as if that's just an okay thing to throw out yeah he I've never met Mark um, yeah. but I did work for uh, the production company that made Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest, mm -hmm. uh, which was a TV show he did. It was an online series. It's really good if you can find it, where he goes and hangs out with collectors because he's a big collector. So there's episodes on like Godzilla collectors and shoe collectors and car collectors. And it's just like Mark Hamill, like looking at people's collections. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but a really good friend of mine was a supervising producer on that. And so there's actually a video on my Instagram somewhere um, of my friend telling Mark about the severed limbs and then Mark telling the story about the wampa arm and how he didn't know the wampa's arm got cut off. It wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to get cut off. Um, and then he has, uh, there's two Luke severed limbs. There was a collaboration I did with Special Ed years ago. And then there's just the plain, the Luke that I did. Mm -hmm. And I know he has both of them. Um, I don't know where they're probably yeah. sitting in a, in a, you know, a storage locker somewhere, but I know he, he's got both of those. So. Yeah, I remember him posting uh, not that long ago a thing of like, I don't like art about the severed limb. And it was this joke thing that got posted. <laughs> right. And, my, and it, mine weren't in there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, the second he posted, I was like, this can't be real. There's got to be a connection here. And so, yeah, I, that's so your first toy goes up, you sell 300 of them. It takes you, because those emails had to go out probably the next day of like, hey, you'll get your toy. But you gotta wait. Yeah, there was a lot of hey, I'm really sorry. I in over and everybody was super cool. Like not mm -hmm. a single person was a jerk about it. I think I had one or two people that were like, hey, you know, it's been a few months, but nobody was a jerk about it, which yeah. was great. So so I did, I got through them all. Um and while doing that, I was also decided uh that I was gonna set up a decon that year for the first time. Okay. And I wanted to do an exclusive with Dove. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Earth 2 Aliens have landed. Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you've come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys, toys. They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys, 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 and t-shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. toys. Hey, look at that over there. It's a spaceship. Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. So that was also the first year that I did yeah. an exclusive through DKE. So, yeah, I, like... Uh, my wife has sort of a love-hate relationship with uh, janky toys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason. It's because early on in particular, I just like, oh, this is all I'm going to do. I'm just going to make toys all the time. And yeah. she was like, dude, there's other parts of your life you need to pay attention to. Um, she's so supportive of it. It's awesome. But like, she's very patient that <laughs> when I get into go mode, I just sort of disappear. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I went to Dove actually and said, because uh, Dove had bought um, Severed Limbs. Mm-hmm. We didn't know each other at that point, but he had bought two sets of them, uh, one for himself and one for uh, collector Dave Mandel, a comedy writer and genius, um, who at the time Dove was buying stuff for. Um, and so I went and, and met with him and you know, we sort of talked about whether I'd be interested in doing an exclusive. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to do a severed limb for you guys. And he said, no, you should do something else. Like do something <laughs> yeah. different. And I like, I was like, oh, I can do other things. Okay, cool. Uh, so of course I went from the vast success of severed limbs to doing a, <laughs> a mashup of Nicolas Cage and quantum leap <laughs> okay. called quantum lead where Nicolas Cage was jumping through all of his movie roles, trying to write what once went wrong. Uh, I love it. It took a long time for that to sell out. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weird, either you get that humor or you don't. Yeah. They, yeah. You know, so, um, but it was awesome that like I went in with something. It's like, yeah, I could have, I could have hit a softball, you know, mm-hmm. and thrown another severed limb out there. And Dub said, no, push yourself, do something else. So I went and made a weird figure of Nicolas Cage in the quantum leap suit. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. so that was, that was my second release. And he, um, and, and, and I mean, early on, he was probably the same as he is now. Like when he reaches out and he goes, hey, you want to do something for me? You, the initial reaction is always yes. Yeah. I don't yeah. ever, I don't consider what stuff I have coming up. I just say, no, let's do this. this. Yep, yeah, totally. Yeah. 100%. And you get that classic dub. You're like, tell me idea. And he goes, okay. And you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, is that? Is yeah. That? And you learn, oh, that means it's good. Okay, that means you like it. <laughs> yeah. It's like the every time I get him on the phone, if he laughs, it's about something that has nothing to do with toys. Right. And then he said, we'll talk about toys. And then the first thing he says always is, Abe, it's shit money. And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one's getting rich off of doing this, man. Like yeah. there's a couple of people that are paying their bills, but no one's getting rich off of doing this. That's yeah. for sure. So you you do that one, and I've seen so there's a couple specific toys that I for sure want to talk about. Okay, let's do uh, it. So yeah, you do uh, the exclu- that first exclusive with him. It takes a little bit to sell out. Mm-hmm. How long between that one? I think it's a year turnaround, right? From 2018 ish. Is that the time that one came out? No, that one. So that one would have been 2015. The, okay. the Nicholas Cage one would have been 2015. Um. And then 2016. Was that Keanu? No, Keanu was recent. Uh, Keanu was 2019. Okay. Uh, 2016 would be Paquito's Playhouse, which is my Mexican bootleg, Pee Wee Herman. Uh, Again, like I call him with these ideas and he's just like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So you you create these, these like toys and Dove just put, he's like, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll green light it. Let's do this. Yeah. And then, I, I got to the, when I saw Keanu, cause I, mm-hmm. I, what's crazy is like, I'm really new to this toy scene. Yeah. I'm only about a year into this. So whenever I talk to someone, I have to spend about a week going through a feed and then <laughs> and like looking at all of our crap for yeah. seven years. Yeah. But then also saying like, damn, I wish I was here. I wish I was there. I wish I, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the toy that, so now that I know that you did the Nicolas Cage going through the movies, you also did a Keanu in the different roles. Yeah. And so, and you're also doing, uh, you did Pee Wee Herman, like the Mexican bootleg form. So you have what seems to be this, um, almost like the figures are real. Like it's just a a rendition of them from a different perspective. So like, why that one? That, so I, the thing that fascinates me 
conceptually right mm-hmm. now and actually has for a long time is sort of this alternate take on information mm-hmm. right um there's uh i don't remember where i heard it and i haven't been able to find it but i know i heard it so i don't think this is a mandala effect where i just made this thing up but let's find out i was yeah, i was watching a documentary about something and mel brooks was on it mm-hmm. and mel brooks said i remember this so clearly and i don't know where it came from but he said that really good comedy is like 2% skewed from reality, just 2% off of the norm, okay. right? And particularly really good parody is just like 2 or 3% off of what it actually is. So it's relatable, but it just feels kind of weird. Mm. And that has always stuck with me. And I think that's always the approach I take is the sort of like alternative history of entertainment, right? Oh, like that. what if this one little thing had happened differently? Or what if, uh, I, I start a lot of my, processes with what if sort of statements so yeah. point break two point break is my favorite movie of all time like unabashedly i love point break and so that point break two figure came out of well what if they'd made a sequel what would it have been because mm. um, they did the reboot which was just sacrilegious <laughs> um <laughs> and then, uh so the point break two the plot was there was like a cyborg bodhi called Robody, and mm. um shia labeouf was playing uh keanu reeves's a strange son and yeah. uh jeff bridges was Bodie's dad and so it was this big super convoluted exactly what they do with most you know reboot sequels is like oh let's just throw a child and a cyborg <laughs> yeah. there's like a floating surfboard like a hoverboard i mean i just threw every crappy sequel trope into it yeah um so that's sort of how i approach everything is like it's just a little bit off from the norm if you can look at it and think that it was real then I've done my job right. And I had mm-hmm. a lot of people look at that Point Break 2 thing and say, how did I not hear about this movie? Because like, it doesn't exist, man. Like, I just made it up. <laughs> um, so that really is, like, Piquito is the same way. The Piquito's Playhouse. So it's a Mexican bootleg Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And um, I took, it's, it's a figure of a Mexican saint. I forget his name. I feel terrible about it because it's a bunch of cultural appropriation there. But uh, he's like wearing a fedora and a suit. So like, it's just this sort of perfect look for like, what would the like yeah. suave Mexican peewee be? And then, but the concept behind the toy was, I'm obsessed with Mexican bootlegs. Like when you buy okay. the, like you see like the the action pack and it says the Avengers on it. And mm-hmm. it's got um, Iron Man and the Hulk and Shrek and Batman and a Power <laughs> Ranger, right? Like, I love this. I yeah. love like the, particularly like the 80s, 90s Mexican bootlegs where they know nothing about what they're bootlegging. They just know it sells. Mm-hmm. So I sort of took that same concept with what if Pee Wee was a Mexican property and Americans were bootlegging, bootlegging like what if Americans were bootlegging a Mexican bootleg, yeah. essentially. So the back of the card is like, Instead of Genie and Conky and Globy, it was Genio and Conkyo and Globio because <laughs> the base level crappy cultural appropriation approach is like add a note to it and it's Spanish, right? Yeah. So, which translates a little bit not great when you read it without context. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're just making terrible stereotypes. Um, but that was sort of part of the joke is, is it was about appropriation. It was about, mm-hmm. you know, skewing it just a little bit. So I take that approach with a lot of my work is, is, how can I take this one thing that we all know and just knock it two or three degrees to the side? Or, or what would the history be if this had happened? Like if, yeah. if this little thing had changed, like what would we end up with? And so that's where I tend to come out a lot of my work from is from that point of view. 
Yeah, which is crazy because it's worked so well. Thank you. Yeah, like I, I, because I, I usually, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to base off like how well an artist does or base all their stuff. But it's like if I can remember the piece, or if I, if someone is talking and I'm like flashing through all these thoughts of who they are and their pieces, right. then it's like, man, they, that worked. It, it did what it was supposed to do. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, you know, I. I, I feel like all of my pieces are successful. Sorry, I keep staring at them because they're all sitting right here and I'm using them to jog my memory. There's some I like more than others, obviously, yeah. but um, like, I don't know. I just, I I really try to follow the ethos of I want to make stuff that I would want to own. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it frustrates me that there's some pieces that I don't own because I sold all of them. Um, like I did the the um, saxophone player from the Lost Boys. Yep. Um, that figure, which is my most requested figure by far. And it's a very difficult figure to make. Um, the Timmy Capella figure. Um, he's the sweetest man on earth, by the way. Like he emailed me after he saw it, and apparently somebody gave him one. And on my Instagram feed, one of my friends for my birthday this year paid some paid him to do a cameo. Yeah. And so he's like actually talking. And I wasn't the one that gave him the figure. That means somebody bought one of the 10 in existence and took it to him, which I think is amazing. But um yeah, I I uh I don't own one of those because I had one for myself and someone's like, I will give you more money than I should for this. And I said, okay. And and now I regret that. So uh, pro tip guys, uh, keep your work. Yeah. So (laughs) how many, do you have almost all the ones that you've created at least one of, or are you missing? I'm missing a lot. I don't have any of the severed limbs. Uh, I sold all of those. That's out of necessity, um, though, right? Like just to yeah, keep up. yeah. That was just to keep up. I, I sold, and at some point, I'll make myself one. I, I do have a Wampa arm, but it's not carded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have the molds for all those, except Count Dooku. I have a set of Count Dooku pieces. Um, so at some point, I'll make myself one. I don't have a sexy sax for the same reason. The mm-hmm. one I made myself, someone offered me way too much money for it, and so I took it. And then I don't have all of the Keanu's because I got so burned out on making them that I finished, I finished all the ones I owed. And then I made myself a bill. Um, I'm sorry, not a bill, a Ted uh, and a point break, uh, mm-hmm. a Johnny Utah. And I did, I have not yet made myself the, uh, my own private Idaho and the matrix and speed, yeah. which I will, because I, that series I love. And that series conceptually is meant to be displayed together. So I think it's awesome that people just own their favorites but as a concept, as a piece of art, it's the five together is really sort of the point of that. So yeah. one of these days I will sit down and make all these for myself. But yeah, I've got some big gaps in my in my own collection. Yeah, my dream. So I need to make it for myself, but I also want to be able to like extend this to other people. So I love making card backs. Yeah. Like designing is okay, but like I've realized that my, the fun of making the card back, shaping it, getting the whole, like it's such a fun process. Yeah. Um, and then designing a booklet so that if someone sends me all their files, I can send them back a book with every one of their card backs in it that they can flip through. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that that would be such a fun, I mean, it would be costly, but it would be such a fun thing for someone to own to say like oh yeah i may not have the figures but here's yeah. a good glimpse of all my work that's awesome that's yeah. really awesome yeah so if yeah. ever wanted to do it i would tell him no because there's thousands <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be uh your severed limbs where you say yes to one project and it yeah 
Yeah. I would say uh, it would be so in like non-cost effective for you. Like, let's yeah. not do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. Well, I like for me. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. The bootleg button. Okay, dude, why am I at the library? Shh, I'm looking for the bootleg Bible. The bootleg Bible? Shh. Yeah, it's a beginner's guide to bootleg toy making. It helps aspiring artists make their own toys. You can order it at bluemondaypress.com. Wait, we can order it? That's right, the bootleg Bible, a guide to bootleg toy makers, published by Blue Monday Press. Includes interviews with bootleg artists like The Suck Lord, Rykov, Obvious Plan, Larby World, Marquee Marauders Club, Ben Gore, Trap Toys, and art from a whole host of other artists all around the world. Also includes a step-by-step beginner's guide to bootleg toy making. So order yours today at BlueMondayPress.com. Why are we even at the library? I don't know. Shh. The Bootleg Bible. Order now at BlueMondayPress.com. I developed the card and the figure sort of hand in hand, right? Yeah. The, the, the idea comes... But really, for me, the card back is probably the more important of the two mm-hmm. uh, in, in the process. And like I said, the piece isn't the piece unless the two things are together. So it's hard to say, you know, one's more important than the other. But I agree that when I'm doing the design, when I'm doing the, the, the work, um, that's where I feel the most creative. That's where I yeah. really feel the most, you know. I'm, I'm working on the card back right now for uh, the Decon release. I will actually finally have a new toy coming out uh, at Decon as part of the 20s art show there. Yeah. And, you know, it's that same thing of where I'm, I'm really happy with this figure. I'm really happy with the toy. Uh, uh, and I'm really happy with the card design. But the two separately, you know, they kind of work. It's not mm. until you merge them together that it actually that it actually works. So, yeah, I tend to think, in the ideation phase, like I sketch out what it's all going to sort of look at. And then I kind of figure out what the toy is going to be. And then I'm all in on the card until that's done. And then I go back to the toy and I finish and I yeah. finish the toy design. I've never had more trouble than trying to come up with something for the 1920s thing. Cause that's such an <laughs> awkward theme. I got so lucky that the figure I'm doing for it, I had already planned. And I actually was going to release it with Dove at DKECon mm. at the beginning of the year. And he said, you know, Decon's 20s themed and this is 20s themed. You yeah. want to just move it to that? And I said, yep, yeah, that makes sense. So I actually slid it to this. So I got really lucky. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So we, I mean, we tangent a lot on this and I love that. So we, you did the first release and then mm-hmm. we have like subsequent releases. But what it seems like is for a while you stayed within the circuit, right? So yeah. you did SDCC, you did Decon. Uh, I don't know if DKECon would have existed then, did it? No, DKCon didn't come about until the pandemic hit. Yeah, DKCon okay. was it was a was sort of a child of necessity of of everybody being locked down. Yeah, so you are doing this, which seems like a helpful circuit, right? It's like two a year, and you can plan like you know when they're always going to be. Yeah, yeah, it's so uh, for uh, <laughs> to tangent even further. Uh, my career for the past eighteen years, uh, up until this year, I I, I just made a, a job switch. Okay. Um, but I was a television editor, so I've worked mm. on tons of TV shows and some movies and mostly reality garbage because that's where most of the work is. But I've done some script yeah. work um, and um, a little bit of feature film work, not much. But um, that takes so much time. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that's a, that's a 70, 80 hour a job week, uh, 80 hour a week job. <clears throat> um, and so it's hard to find the time to make toys um and also i've talked about this a lot but but being creative when you have a creative job can be very difficult 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people that are great at it. Like a lot of people are just born with that. Like I have to write all the time. So I go be a writer all day and then I go home and write too. And I just yeah. wasn't born. I wasn't born with that. Like I, my, my brain gets too scattered. I have ideas all over the place. I want to do a little bit of everything. So I'm not that guy. And I found that I was using so much of my creative energy mm-hmm. editing that I didn't have much creative energy left when I got home. Um, so that's part of the reason that I was only doing a few releases a year, some years more than others. There are some years I think I put a lot of stuff out and some years I put out like one or two pieces, but, um, that's also part of the reason I stuck within the circuit is because it was worth it for me to give a commission cut to Dove or, or somebody else, Clutter Gallery or whoever I was working with to not have to deal with marketing and shipping (laughs) of the products once I was done with them. Like, yeah, I realize I'm not making as much as I could, but I also don't have to deal with it. I finish mm-hmm. it, I send it to you, and you guys take care of the rest. And that, because the making was the thing that was important to me. Um, and I love making money. Everybody loves making money, but I'm not making enough of this off of this to make a huge dent, right? I can pay a couple bills off of it, you know, but this is not life-changing money. So mm-hmm. the, the, the thrill I get when something sells um, is that somebody was willing to spend their own money on it. Right. Yeah. Like if someone is willing to spend $350 that they earned on a painting, then that like that to me is such an incredible validation. Um, my love language is praise. So that's like the highest praise is like, I took my time, turned that time into money. And now I'm giving you that money because I want the thing that you put your time into. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think I stuck to the circuit a lot because doing it by myself is a pain in the ass. And so yeah. it was, it, I, I got the same thrill when I get a sellout. Yeah, You know, uh, yeah, I didn't make as much money off of it, but I also don't have to hand it off. I don't have to send it. I don't have to worry if it gets ruined in the mail. Mm-hmm. I'm done. My part of the job is done. I just made, and now I get to go make something else. So, yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I just finished, or I finished my idea for a decon and told Dove and I get this message back. Very rarely can you sense like the, it's almost like there's a tone to his voice. <laughs> but through this message i sensed this like depressive tone almost because he was like oh if you sell it for that you're only gonna get this much money right and for me it was like yeah great like yeah. I, the fact that anyone wants my piece is already enough to say like this is worth it right um plus i don't have to do the cost of i'm also in southern california so i don't have to do the cost of shipping to him shipping and- drive it to him Right, right. And look, I mean, everybody's everybody's values and thresholds are different, right? Yeah. Like, my toys aren't cheap. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't sell, particularly now, as I've done this for longer and longer, like I do increase the prices. Mm-hmm. Um, I increase it for a couple of reasons. I increase it because it takes me more time to do it. So I think it's worth more. I increase it because I think there is value there, you know. Um, and I increase it because there's a value to the scene, right? Yeah. And if if everybody's selling their toys for $30, then the guy who sells it for 80 and deserves 80 for it, does it? He looks like an asshole, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, but everybody's got to set their own threshold for, for, for what they need to get out of it, you know? And, and um, it's hard. Pricing is hard. Like I look at pieces and I'm like, the amount of time I put into this piece, this is an $80 piece, but I know, I know that it won't sell for more than 60 and it may not sell for more than 50. And so you're sort of doing these balances and then you figure, you know, once I take out how much money I spent on, on resin and painting and, and, you know, once the distributor gets their cut, like, what am I left with? 
Yeah. And a lot of the time it's, it's not a lot of money. Um, so I sort of have thresholds that I've set for myself that I need to make X amount or it's not worth doing the figure. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause you know, I, I like my family. I've got a four-year-old daughter who I love spending time with. And so I need to make sure that I'm getting something that makes me feel like it's balancing out the time that I'm not spending with her, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it, that's just the way I look at it. There's a lot of different ways that are right. And some people do this full time. Oof, and some yeah. people, you know, you look, look at dollar slides, look at barbarian rage, look at, at Healy and, and suck Lord and, and, and killer, you know, those guys are doing this full time and they have to make X amount of dollars to, to, to make ends meet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's, there was a brief romantic period where I was like, I could do this. I could do toys. And then I started thinking about, but if I have to do this, I'm not going to want to, I'm not going to love it yeah. anymore, you know? And so, so I do think like there's a lot to be said for pricing yourself at what you're worth. Mm-hmm. Your time is incredibly valuable. Your talent is incredibly valuable because your talent is not just your talent, but it's also a summation of your time, right? And, and time is the only resource that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, artists need to price themselves at ranges that they think that they're, that they're worth, you know? Um, I've seen artists overprice themselves. I've seen artists underprice themselves. Yeah. Dove's got a pretty good gauge. So if Dove says dude, you could get more for this. You can probably get a couple bucks more for it, you know, but you might have a reason. Like you might want to price something low because that's part of the piece, right? Or just getting it out there is part of the, is part of what you're doing. And so there's reasons to price things at different, at different uh, levels. I don't know. It's all very complicated and it feels very swarmy at the end of the day. Yeah. (laughs) It's a huge reality of what we do. And I think that like any good show I take that back. Not any good show because every show has different parameters, but a show like Decon Mm -hmm. is really successful for a vendor like Dove. When you have a table that runs the gamut between total impulse, I just want to take something with me Mm -hmm. all the way up to high-end collector, I'm willing to throw a thousand dollars or something, right? Like you want to cover all of those bases in order to, you know, to attract as many people as possible. And, And I've certainly done that. Like I'm, I, I have no delusions about part of the reason Severed Limbs were so successful is Mm -hmm. because they were 20 bucks a piece when they first came out. Because as soon as I raised the price to 30 bucks, they were not nearly as successful as they were before. Mm. Um, And so a part of that too is just like, you can only beat an idea for so long before everyone's like, yeah, we got it. Cool. Luke's hand, Mm -hmm. high five, you know? Um, But but yeah, once I started hitting that $25, $30 threshold, the sales like cut in half. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of this $19.99, 20 like, ah, oh, it's 20 bucks. That's funny for 20 bucks. I'll buy that. Yeah. When you wouldn't buy it for 25, there's like a weird switch in people's heads. Because then you have to play that game of how can I source this, put it together, and spend mm-hmm. the least amount of time on it so that 20 is okay. Right. And that, and that, that was the game that I initially, like, that's what I was playing back and forth. Like, how am I going to do this for 25 bucks? There's, there's a real business to doing this, Mm -hmm. right? There's a real business to how do I do this and not get upside down on a figure? Like, yeah, there are figures that come through shows that I look at and I like, I guarantee the person that made this is losing money on it. Mm -hmm. They could sell out and they'll lose money on it because of the amount of time and energy and resources and shipping and whatever, you know, I can look at the decon table and, and get an idea pretty quickly on some of the figures based on how they're priced and what went into it, whether or not they're actually turning a profit or not, you know? 
So, and that's something a lot of people don't consider. And, 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 you know, depending on where you come from, you may not have to, you know, if this is just art, if this is just something you're doing to fill a part of your soul, that's great. That's awesome. And if, if part of that soul is getting it in front of people and dove is the best way to do that, then that's Mm. amazing. Right. Like that's okay. Everybody needs to make something right. But that gratification may be the thing you needed to make. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like there's no right or wrong path to how to do this. Like not everybody has to sell everything for 150 bucks. There are people that need to sell things for 150 bucks. There are people that pay their rent doing this. And there are people that have been doing it for, you know, at the most, you know, Suckler has been doing it since what, 2004. So that's, you know, but, but um, there are people that have been doing it for 10, 15 years when you start looking at like Healy and, and Killer and yeah. and a, a big crop of us that came up right around 2013, 2014. So we've all been doing it for like, you know, seven, eight years. Those of us that have stuck around um, and have developed a following, our work probably should be worth a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but that depends on the following and the work and a piece is only as, worth as much as someone's willing to pay for it. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it like you can get so lost in the swamp of, of the business part, right? And, and at the end of the day, you really just have to make stuff you love. I think the most successful pieces are not the pieces that people make thinking, I'm going to sell this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know Boba Fett is popular, and I know steampunk is popular. So if I make steampunk Boba Fett, I'm going to sell out. Are you into steampunk? No, nah, not really. Are you into Boba Fett? I mean, he's fine. Then why are you making that piece, Yeah. right? Everything should be something you're passionate about because the pieces that people tend to gravitate to the most are the ones that really come from you. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the medical droid worst gift ever is a really good example for that, right? Like that's a deep cut reference, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. pointed directly at collectors who grew up collecting this stuff in the 80s. It's essentially a $60 visual gag, right? It's a $60 greeting card. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's it's a joke that works in a physical form. Um, but it came from a very genuine place with me. And people related to it for that reason. And it sold out by I want to say Friday at San Diego in 2018. Like it sold out yeah. really quickly. Um and I I think that people respond to authenticity. I think mm-hmm. people see things that you really loved and that you made that because you loved it, not I made it because I needed to. Um, and I, I believe the non-cynical side of me, at least that that's what people gravitate towards things that are really genuinely a part of the the artist and not like, well, I got to sell something or I think this will sell. Yeah. So as you have created and stayed on this circuit and have released, uh, at some point you get almost like a little bit more tied in with Dove. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what did that look like? At what point did you get more tied in with Dub to the point where you are helping with like DKE con and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Dub, you know, uh, I don't want to get fatalistic about it, but there's some people you, <laughs> <laughs> there's some people you meet and you're just like, Oh yeah, yeah. I was supposed to know you. Like yeah, we're going to yeah, be together. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and Dub was that guy with me from like very early on. I mean, probably our second or third meeting, like, I showed up and I, he, he's easy to talk to and he likes to talk about things. So it's easy to talk with him, but I showed up to drop something off to him. I think the first time I met him, we talked for half an hour. And I think like the second or third time I was there, we talked for like three hours. We were just Mm. hanging out talking at his old warehouse for like, for a long time. So 
Dove and I connected very quickly. Our personalities just mesh really well. Yeah. Um, and he's helped me a lot over time, both with creative things and with life things. And we just got to be friends. Um, but as, so as far as like mine getting really involved with, with DKE and, and particularly DKE Con, when the pandemic hit and all of the shows were very clearly going to go away, mm-hmm. um, Dove was trying to figure out like, what do I do? How do, how do we keep this going? Like they've already got deals with people from for San Diego. People have already been making figures. He knows that nature hates a vacuum and he doesn't want to let the time lapse mm-hmm. uh, because people will go elsewhere. You know, people will lose focus on, on, on something with, if it's not there. Um, and Sarah Joe says, well, why don't you just, uh, Dove's wife, for those who don't know, Sarah Joe said, well, why don't we just set up the booth in our living room? We'll just do it. We'll just do a live. We'll put it on Zoom. We'll just mm-hmm. put the cameras on and we'll pretend like we're at a show and people can pop on to Zoom and buy things. And uh, because I'm an editor, because I've been in production for 18 years, um, and I had actually recently been doing some live streaming work, yeah. Um, Dove and I were sort of talking about that one day, and I said, "Well, you know, do you need help? Like, is is there something I can help with?" And he said, "Yeah, I don't know how to do this." Uh, and I did was out of work at the time because uh, television was very hard to keep going when when you weren't allowed to be in the same room. Yeah. Um, so he and I figured, sat down and said, okay, well, what do we want the show to be? You know, what do you, how do you want it to feel? And so I took sort of my production knowledge and my editing knowledge and what, what I was learning from live streaming. And he sort of took all of his convention knowledge and, and we came up with this. I mean, it's mostly Dub. I mean, I can only take credit for, for so much of it. You know, this is really Dub's baby, but, yeah. and I was just the facilitator that was able to make it happen for him. But um, I think it's grown into something much larger than either of us thought it would. I mean, I think we thought it was going to be an online sales tool and mm-hmm. it certainly is like he does, he's been selling more at these shows than he did at, at live shows, you know, than he did at Comic-Con. Um, but the thing that none of us expected was the community that came out of this. Um, yeah. there is like this new wave of toy makers, not all new. I mean, some of them have been around for a long time. Barbarian's been around forever and Magoob's been making stuff for for several years, even though his explosion has really been over the past two years, but yeah. um, but the community that has risen from this show is extraordinary, mm-hmm. um, and really kind of moving, like kind of powerful to see, like how how everybody's gravitated. I mean, I I don't want to overstep what I'm saying, but I think this this podcast is probably a direct result of the community that sort of came out of of that show to some degree. One hundred percent is yeah. And, and like, it's so awesome that there's, you know, some of the older guys that have been around for a long time. I mean, there's sort of jokes about like, who's in what wave. And I know Dollar Slice has a chart or something about (laughs) what waves and, and uh, which I think is funny because like, I'm guessing I don't show up in the first several waves, even though we started at the same time as a lot of people. So it's sort of based on perception and who you were, you know, knew. Yeah. um, And, and John and I, Dollar Slice and I have been been buddies for a long time. I love that guy. He's such a good dude. Um, but, uh, there seems to be this like really strong new crop of artists who have popped out of this show. Um, and, and this new sense of community that has come out of DKEcon. Yeah. And I don't think any of us were expecting that that was going to be the result that, that, 
you know, we'll turn on our, our live feed and there's 30 people just sitting there all day. Mm -hmm. Literally. It's like just this live stream of, <laughs> and yeah. they just sit and watch all day. And the chat has been engaged, you know, all day. And then we've got guys like, you know, uh, chicken burger disco come out of nowhere yeah. and just starts making this incredible content. And it turns out he's also one of the nicest dudes on the planet and he's a talented toy maker. And so now he's making more toys and he's releasing toys. And yeah, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of people who may not have taken the risk or may not have even known about the scene that are just like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. And uh, I think that's amazing. Um, I was lucky when I got in, there's always been some gatekeepers, you know, mm -hmm. but everybody is fairly generous with the information. Yeah. Um, I feel like now that's ten tenfold. You mm -hmm. know, when I got in, I think there's a little element of I don't want to give away my secrets and there was also a little element of so many people ask me how to do this and I take the time to teach them and then they just disappear. Mm. So why did I take that time if you're not even going to do anything with it? You know, yeah. so I think there was a little bit of that. And I think a lot of that now has kind of gone away. And now it's a pretty open forum where if someone asks me a question, I'll answer it to the best of my ability, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so so I think that like that was sort of this unthought of uh blessing uh, from DKCon is not only did the show continue and we were able to get new work from all these artists and that was able to sell a lot of work to people all over the world which was much more limited before the virtual conventions but we have this community that just flourished out of this um, yeah and I look forward to doing it every year now because I get to sit in the room with you guys yeah and, you know talk shit in the chat and use my dumb air horn and make jokes <laughs> and you know like it's become this little public access lo-fi yeah. <laughs> trade show you know like yeah and i think so two things come to mind one i don't think you get enough praise in that in the fact that like whenever there's a head of something and there's a face of something there are people like you that are like no i know how to do this and i know like we're gonna bring it forward so like Thank you, first and foremost, for all that. Oh, my pleasure. But I think, too, that this spiderwebbed into something that no one anticipated. Because there was, realistically, from what I can understand and from what I'm seeing, is there's really only a couple places that toys mattered, right? It was like Designer Con, San Diego Comic Con, and before Instagram or whenever that started on Instagram, it was like, yeah, here's some stuff. If you want to buy it, you yeah. could, but why? Right. There's and, a couple galleries. You know, yeah. Clutter Gallery has always been really good about that. And they do the in-action show every year. Tag, who I think they're still around. Yeah. I should know that better. Um, they, you know, they've been really good. There's And there's a couple stores that really focused on it. Um, I'm blanking on them right now, so I apologize. But but yeah, it was it was a very limited scope of where you could go. And there certainly wasn't like an active interactive community built up around those things yeah and i think what's crazy is even with like uh the conventions and galleries and stuff like making toys that was the end all be all like once mm -hmm. you made it you made a toy it was art but mm -hmm. now like you had chicken burger disco making commercials based mm -hmm. on this and making uh live content and and putting that dang chicken mask on and you have <laughs> wicked joyful who puts an old toys r us sticker on his toy so he's bringing back the nostalgia and mm -hmm. um like magoo making those play sets which is 
crazier. Like I didn't think that play sets would then enter. And then I started this podcast because it was like, man, like this scene, it, it can't ever be just around the toys because these are people and they right. got some gnarly stories. Right. Well, and that's what it's so funny. How many, the number of times people have walked up to me and said, because I've worked in reality TV for mm-hmm. so long, because I have a lot of contacts with producers and said, hey, why don't we make a, a, a show about, rea- about bootleg toys? Why isn't there a yep. bootleg toy reality TV show? Uh, number one, I pitched it several times. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> but the, the the thing that's interesting, the toys are only interesting to the people that make the toys. Yep. The process is only interesting to the people that are interested in the process. The thing about that that's interesting are the people. Mm-hmm. This is what you're tapping into, right? Like This is why I love listening to the episodes of the show is because you just get artists talking about themselves and their art and what moves them, what they're passionate about. And you know, freaking killer crying at the end uh, of his episode. And I was uh, driving to DKE Con with tears coming down my face <laughs> on the highway listening to this. Um, so moved because of how moved he is by the community, right? And how much this means to him. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing that matters is storytelling. And that's always been, that's always where I come from. All of my toys are a little physical manifestation of a story in some way. Whether I did a good job conveying that story or not is up for debate, but that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Story t- uh, storytelling is how we we uh, relate to each other as people. Yeah, um, and that's I'm super grateful for you doing this podcast because I've enjoyed it tremendously to hear from the people I really respect and people I'm, I'm good friends with and hear like new perspectives from them, and then from people that I never I'm, that I don't know and I never would have listened to. You know, um, I found toy makers because of your show that I didn't know existed, nice. which is awesome. You yeah. know, so like. Um, the fact that that everybody is embracing sort of the new digital world, whatever, you know, um, but treating it as a community um, mm-hmm. and, and treating it as a way to explore art and to explore each other. Um, that's what's important, man. Like, that's yeah. what's cool. And, and that's what if I, you know, I took a, a pretty long break from toys. Uh, mm-hmm. The Keanu figures, which I'm immensely proud of, almost made me quit because they were so much work. Um, and it took so much time and, and it was so repetitive. And I, like, I think I made 125 figures, which is the largest run I've ever done. And, um, and it, I talked about this a little bit on the DKE interview, but, uh, I'm working with one of my favorite artists of all time on these Keanu figures, Mark Todd, who has mm-hmm. without question and unhyperbolically changed the way I look at art, changed the way that I view art and what can be art and how you can make art. Like, totally reshaped my view on things. Um, and he got a lot of, like when, when, when other artists that I respected would walk up to the table at Comic-Con and take pictures and mm-hmm. say, oh my God, Mark Todd killed it. Like artists I love putting up pictures of my work and saying, Mark Todd killed it. And my ego took such a bruising from that. And it's not Mark's fault. Like Mark did kill it. Mark made these figures incredible. Um, I wasn't ready for the mental <laughs> part of yeah. collaborating with someone so much on, on a much higher level than I was. Um, and so that pushed me out for a couple of years. Uh, so it, it took me a few years to, to sort of think through what do I want to make and why do I want to make things and why do I make things at all? And that's where I started painting more again, which I had stopped doing for several years. So that's why I've had like two paintings in uh, the Earth to Kentucky show when he asked yeah. me, do you want to be part of the toy show? And I said, can I paint? He's like, yeah, why not? So I did two paintings. <laughs> um but if, you know, if I were to ever walk away from the scene entirely, um, there are friendships that I have made through the scene that wouldn't go away. Mm. 
there's a connection to the scene. If I never put out another piece of work again, which is not going to happen, I'm very re-energized and have a whole lot of stuff coming up. Um, but if I were to do that, the time that I spent in the scene would have been so valuable to my personal growth, to my creative and artistic growth, and to like my emotional growth with the connections I've made with people and the friends I've made and the way I've got to watch artists come from I'm putting a stormtrooper head on a regular dude's body to putting out just incredible pieces that I wouldn't even fathom. Yeah. Um, so it's really, it's really cool. It's, it's a really unique thing that, that we're all part of. And, and I'm really grateful that I've been able to be a part of it for as long as I have and to be as much of a part of it as I've, as I've been able to. Yeah. The scene, I think what draws me to it is it's unlike any other community. Mm -hmm. um, even the people that are a little more edgy, like Suck Lord. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started, he was the one that told me how to do backers, like in his Suck Lord way. Right. Um, I reached out and it was, I think the response was like, something like, I don't do that dumbass. Like I do it like this or something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Right. Yeah. Right. But right. it was, um, the willingness to be authentically who he was, but also still be like, Hey, like you're going to be a part of this scene. Here right. You go. Right. And that's, yeah. and that's something that like you getting to have that experience with the suckler is certainly something that, that is an advantage of when you came in. Mm -hmm. um, Cause he, I've always had really positive interactions with him, but I know that he's, you know, just from conversations with Dove is very open about it, you know, talking yeah. about it, that he struggled with, the fact that he's created an entire scene and is revered within the scene, but that scene hasn't moved past a certain threshold that he, that I think he would like it to move past, you know? Yeah. Um, so you get a little bit of the kinder and gentler suck Lord, but um, he, like the first time I met him, Dove introduced me and said, you know, he was at the warehouse and I'd come up to the warehouse and, and um, he said, so you're following in my wake, huh? And I said, yeah. He said, how's it smell back there? That was my first introduction to the suck lord. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. This is, yeah. <laughs> you know, but he like, you know, he's, I've had real conversations with him, you know, about, about politics and life and art. And, yeah. You know, I don't hold a position in suck lord's life. I think he knows who I am. And I think, you know, when I see him at conventions or see him at, you know, the DK party at, at Dove's house after decon, when that's allowed to happen, um, He's out. We talk, and he's always very friendly. But I don't think he ever thinks of janky toys outside of that. Yeah, <laughs> and he's he's so funny because I don't think he understands the weight that his words hold. Uh, oh, I think I think he does. does he? <laughs> I think so. Because he on his interview, I think I might I may have cut it out, but he had uh, he was like, "What's the point of this podcast?" And I was like, "Oh, to bring more recognition to the, these artists and tell their stories and stuff." And he leaned into the camera and he goes. They're going to get it from your podcast. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I mean, I hope. But what's cool is be, I took that and I, I pushed it as a drive. And now we're being heard in like 39 countries. We're all yeah. over the U.S. And thousands of people are listening to this podcast because of me pushing. Because I wanted to make sure that like that smart ass comment like pushes me forward. Right. Well, and like, yeah, you know, that's that a that's like the most suckler thing ever. Mm -hmm. uh for you know but uh b he's not wrong right yeah. like you entered a space that is littered with the corpses of failed podcasts i mean mm -hmm. just you're climbing over the corpses of failed podcasts 
when you do one, you know? Um, so you, you took on a difficult challenge and you've been doing awesome with it, you know? And, and again, this sort of speaks the same way that the art does. Like, why are you doing it? You're doing it because you love it. Like, it's clear you love it. There's a reason I wanted to be on it. man. There's a reason. It's not because like, look, I love talking about myself and I love talking about toys, (laughs) two of my favorite things to talk about. Um, but it's a totally different energy to do it with somebody that really cares about the scene and is, is doing, you know, like you give a shit, dude. You're doing this because you care about this because you're passionate about it. And that makes such a difference. It's that authenticity yeah. thing. It's that authenticity thing, you know? It matters. It matters when you love what you're doing. And so I'm super appreciative of, of you doing this because it's been entertaining and it's it's brought the community together and uh, keep going, dude. Of keep course. So we, uh, what's crazy is we're taking tangents and splitting from your story and your yeah. interview. <laughs> so Dude, my, my story is only half interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we, I think we're up to the point where you have done, uh, you, we got to the point where you met Dove and you were a part of that and you have uh, now signed on indefinitely from what I can understand as his go-to tech person. Is that true? Yikes. I didn't yeah. sign anything yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so what is, so from the, a different perspective, because so many of us, I think you're right in how we are the community that is uh, on the keyboard, that's in the chat, that sees mm-hmm. it from the outside. So what is that experience of you're, you're with the top people, right? Like you're with barbarian rage in the room where sometimes uh dollar slice will call in. You got mm-hmm. uh, dove running this thing. And then there's interviews from all over the world coming in. What is it like from the other perspective for the artists that are the ones that are in that chat room? Like, usually it's always the same thing. It's like, holy shit, or damn, or hell yeah, or... Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just reacting. Yeah. I mean, it's... I feel very lucky that I get to, to sit and absorb all that, you know? Yeah. Um, and... I mean, look, Scott's one of my best friends at this point. Like, Barbarian Rage is... He and I... It's the same thing with... Like, there's... Like I said with Dove, you just sort of meet people and you're like, oh, we're going to be friends for a really long time. And that was immediately when, when Barbarian Rage and I met, we became friends. And he is a yeah. core member of my, of my inner creative circle, you know. So, um, but it, it's, it's fun to see. I mean, A, I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm not the most active person doing it, right? So there's a lot of people that I don't know well um you know we we know each other because of instagram or whatever but like you know getting to sit through the rika interview when i've only met rika mm-hmm. once i've only talked to him a handful of times uh, and i would say we're probably buddies but i don't know him i don't know yeah. rika um i'm a huge admirer of his work and, and he knows that i've told him that and, yeah. and he's very kind been very kind to me and and um but i don't talk to rika so getting to sit there and have an interview and this is one of the advantages of, of Dove being Dove mm-hmm. because Dove has this connection with so many of the artists because Dove, again, this, this authenticity thing, right? Yeah. Like Dove is the real authentic deal and he will tell it to you straight, good or bad. And people feed off that and people are drawn to that. And so when Dove has conversations with Rika or Sucklord or Healy or, you know, Mishka or some of these like big, huge names, they open up to him about things that they probably wouldn't open up to with other people, you know? So I'm sitting on the other side of that and I get to be as much of a part of it as everybody in the chat. I just, you know, am making fart jokes at Dove every once in a while. (laughs) Playing the air horn. Um, But it's fun. I mean, 
the other thing that's been really fun is coming up with uh, how do we make this more than just interviews and booth. And that was, that was a lot of like, you know, asking chicken burger disco if he was yeah. interested in, in doing pieces. That was when we were doing the collection videos, like the collector's paradise and the active artist studio stuff. And, you know, none of this is groundbreaking stuff, but it were things that made things feel different and, and it broke up the show and it gave it a little bit of a different vibe. And I think it's provided a blueprint blueprint for other shows. I think, um, yeah. you know, assembly required has done some really, really cool things on their own, but I think a lot of that probably started with the stuff that we were doing or developed from there. Um, and again, I'm not taking credit for anything. I'm not saying we're breaking new ground anywhere, but we really tried to put some thought, particularly from the second convention on the New York convention on about how can we make this, a different experience for people watching it, but still keep the vibe of you're walking up to the booth. Yeah. Cause that's what Dove wanted. Cause the experience yeah. for Dove, when you, when you come up to, cause you're coming up to decon this year, right? Yeah. Assuming that the world isn't imploded. Um, so, you know, Dove hangs out, hangs out at the booth and just talks to people. And that's mm -hmm. what he wanted this show to feel like. That's what he wanted DK Econ to feel like. That's why we start every morning with a wide view of the booth mm -hmm. and him just sitting in there, just talking just talking about whatever on his phone doing that because that's what it's like to walk up to the booth and that we want to preserve that, but then also have it feel like we're presenting a show. We're presenting the interviews and, you know, a chicken burger disco is gracious enough to give us all of his incredible work. And, you know, John comes on and, and, you know, gives us his point of view and takes the time to do that. And, uh, you know, Dan Goodsell's doing pieces. And so we've, you know, we've gotten these things um, to try to make it feel, like I said, it's like half walking into a convention and half, watching a public access TV show. And that's the exact vibe we're, we're trying trying to do. So um, it's been really gratifying and it's really cool to sit on that other side and, and you know, get to see all yeah. that, be pushing the buttons and get to see the reactions from you guys in the chat at the same time, because when Dub's doing the interviews, he's focused on the interview. Mm -hmm. So I do get to, I do get to sort of see a second layer of what's happening. Uh, yeah. Happening. It's, it's tough to explain, like my wife, um, so when it's a Friday, Saturday thing, like Fridays I have off, but she's working. And so like mm -hmm. Fridays I'm working on toys or doing whatever and just had it playing. Mm -hmm. And then Saturday I had it on and it was just a little lower. And she finally looked over and she was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and she was, she was like, are you in a Zoom meeting? Because it's been like four hours. And I was like, no, like, four more to go, baby. Yeah. Like, this is an all day thing. No, it was this thing of like, she is very supportive and gracious and has seen the joy because I have ADHD when it comes to art. I, I love being creative, but this one has kept my attention for a year now, which awesome. usually, and usually means once things last a year, they, they go the distance. Right. It's yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. And so um, now that it's lasted a year, she sat down with me. She was like, okay, I get it. Now, like, walk me through why this is important to you. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And That's so awesome. It, it is cool. like, I, I can't say enough good things about this community. And I can't say enough um, about the conversations I've had with people about like, yeah, I'm a toy maker, but not the toys that you think I'm a toy. I, I do other stuff. Um, but so with all that, we're going to switch back to janky toys. Okay. Okay. Where are you headed? So the, the question, why I asked this question is you've had the time to do the internal process of figuring out that you are an artist, no longer with quotes, but you are an artist. 
Um, you've had the time to figure out what your style is, mm-hmm. had the time to like almost are, be able to articulate the process that you go through when designing an art piece. And so going forward from this point, what does that look like for Janky Toys? Like where are you headed in, in growth of your own um, in pushing this community, if that's what you are headed towards or yeah, where are you headed? Um, so some of this, I know the answer to, and don't want to say yet, uh, or, or can't say yet. So there is a, there is a, there's a big picture goal that I have had for the past three or four years. Okay. Um, that's finally going to become coming to fruition, uh, next year, I Mm -hmm. think either end of next year, beginning of 2023. How much of my money do you need? A lot, all of it. (laughs) as much as you can give. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, so, so there is something coming down the pipe that I am, it's, it's fairly new. It's been in my head in the works for quite a while, but it's yeah. just become a reality. Um, and I realized this is super annoying and frustrating to be talking about something that I can't or don't want to actually talk about yet, but it keeps the people coming back. You're fine. I guess. I mean, look, if that's the draw, this podcast <laughs> is in trouble. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so there is sort of not an end game, but, but there is a yeah. big goal that I'm working towards. Um, what a lot of that means for me, though, is really refocusing on work that I'm super excited to do. Because mm-hmm. um, I think it's really easy to, to not get excited or to start excited and then to realize, oh, I don't really love this, but I'm far enough along in the process or I've committed myself to something. Yeah. And I just have to plow through and finish it. And I'm trying to, because I have the luxury of this not being my main income source. And because mm-hmm. I have a job that for the first time in 18 years, I really like that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what, what I used to. I have nothing to do with editing. And it's very creative, but in a very different way. So I have a lot more energy creatively. Um, I actually really want to explore things. And so one of the concepts I'm, I'm exploring a lot is this idea that we were talking about of this like alternate version of, of entertainment taking taking the entertainment world uh whether it's movies or toys or action figures or magazines or whatever and just knocking it a few degrees to the side and then letting my imagination run in that area um so i I think it's just a refocus on making things that really make me excited that really make me happy and make me laugh and and so i've got i know um i can say that i have i'll have a piece uh or a run of pieces uh, with with Dove at, at DK or at Decon for the mm-hmm. 20 show. I also will be doing a toy, uh, theoretically, assuming I finish it, but I think I will. I'm pretty far along on it uh, for the Twilight Zone show uh, okay. with Dustin at, at Earth to Kentucky. So that will, it's October. Yeah, that will technically be my first toy since Keanu will be the piece I'm doing for Earth to Kentucky. Right. Um, I think with the exception of the runs I do for Dove, I'm going to start limiting my toy runs significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that was a lesson I learned from Keanu uh, was doing 125 pieces of a figure that takes me six hours a piece to make. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, again, I, I say I don't do it for the money, but the money that I made on those versus the time that I put into them is, was not very big. And, and, having gone through the process and, and how proud I am of the piece now and how appreciative I am of the piece now is totally different from how I felt a year ago about it. So now mm-hmm. I'm like fired up by it again. Um, 
but it did teach me that I don't think I have the attention span and the patience to knock out a hundred of the same thing. Yeah. So though I do like doing runs because I think that's part of presenting something as a toy, right? You go to target and there's 15 He-Mans on a peg and that's part of the joy of, of buying toys. So yeah. I will still be doing runs. I will still do the runs I do for DK would be larger from other things, but if I do a run for Dustin or for another show, or God forbid, I decide to put something up myself and sell it. Um, I imagine my run numbers are going to go down to about five to 10 pieces as opposed to 25, 40, a hundred, yeah. whatever they were before, before, like I usually did around, I think it was 25 to 30. And then I was edging higher. Like, I think I did a run of 40 or 50 for the medical droids. Um, and now I want to go back the other direction. So, but it's really just, it's going to be, I'm really excited for the stuff that's coming up. Like I've never been, artistically this amped and <laughs> it's like i wish i could share more and i guess i could but i'm just not ready to yet i have a tendency to over talk about things i have a tendency to tell my entire idea like right out of the gate because i'm so excited about it and then once i do that i've already spent that energy right? i just yeah. talked about it it's like oh well, now i have to go make it Ugh, okay um so there will be a really exciting thing that we'll probably be making an announcement for next year Great. um but um yeah i just you know, I, I'm I'm really rejuvenated by the time I got to spend doing DKCon and being around all of the energy that that you guys brought, that the community brought, without having to, to output. I just took some time to absorb, and that was really restorative, and that was really therapeutic and really helpful for me. Um, so, you know, uh, yes, there's a goal. Yes, there is a something is coming, um, but just in a general roadmap, I just I want to be passionate about the things I make and getting to spend all this time listening to artists literally for a year and a half talk about yeah. making totally put me in that mind space where I'm ready. I'm just ready to go make stuff that I'm super proud of. And if people love it, awesome. And if they don't, they're not all going to work. You know, yeah. I just, I only want to put out stuff that I feel psyched about. And that's kind of a different mindset. I'm, I'm really proud of everything I've done, but there's certainly toys that I, I, a hundred percent no I made it because I felt like oh I gotta put something out or yeah you know and it's still got my spin and I'm still proud of it but is it something that now I would put that time and effort into I don't know maybe not yeah yeah I mean I that's a I think you're you're incredibly self-aware in this and, <laughs> which is amazing to hear so we we're at that the end of the podcast and this is a moment where you get to plug everything you want to plug your Sweet. Instagram, where you're going to sell your run of 130 million things. coming up, <laughs> like, the, the massive secret project. Yeah. So you get to plug everything. And this is just all about you, where we can find you, where we uh, have people go to. Uh, cool. I, uh, I'm really only on one place. I'm on Instagram at, at janky toys. Yep. Uh, I have a store, but there's nothing in it. So, you know, don't bother. Um, I, that, but that's, I, I don't post a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, mainly because for that same reason that I used to post all, Hey, look what I'm doing. And then it would take me 16 months to do it. So, yeah. um, I, I like, I like to regurgitate some memes here and there. Um, but, uh, so that's really the, the primary place to follow me. The two, like I said, the two big things coming up are going to be pieces for earth of Kentucky and then the, the, the pieces for decon. So those are coming out. Great. Um, I, Anytime I have time to be involved with an Earth to Kentucky show, I will. I mean, just a million huge shout outs 
to Destin and to, to yeah. Kentucky and what he's created there. And um, so that's a good place to look. If Earth to Kentucky is having a show, I'll probably have something, whether it's a weird painting of Morrissey in front of a bounce house or <laughs> an actual toy. Uh, yeah. To be, to be remains to be seen. But, and then, man, there's just so many good, inspiring toy makers that everybody should be following. And I'm sure everybody that listens to us already knows like if you're not following Barbarian Rage, you're dumb. If you're not following Acquired Taste, you're dumb. If you're not following Epoch, you're dumb. If you're not following Seth Relentless, you're dumb. Uh, if you're not following Dollar Slice, you're dumb. Though there's reasons politically you might not follow him. Uh, <laughs> he and I follow the same coin. I understand some don't. Uh, <laughs> but um, man, who else uh, should everybody be following? There's so many good, incredible toy makers. Like, yeah we're really sort of in this, um, if you're not following green plastic tunnels, you're super dumb. Um, There's so much inspiration out there and and absorb it. Just go absorb what other people are doing because man, the work that people are putting out, the, the things that people are making and I'm real curious to see what people start doing now that there's a resin shortage. And now that mm. Reynolds is officially saying we're out of resin and we don't know when we're going to get any more and we have to rebuild the factory in Texas before we can even start getting resin. I'm very curious to see how people start adapting to that. Um, yeah. So I, I made these figures called Total Waste of Paint that are just paint chips splattered on a card uh, okay. that I then make Photoshop card backs. I might be doing a lot of Total Waste of Paints because yeah. there may not be <laughs> resin to make figures for. Um but yeah, I'm sure there's a million toy makers I should have shouted out and forgot, but just support the people that you get inspired from. That's, that's so crucial. The, this energy that we've developed as a community and that seems to be growing, just support the people that, that inspire you. Um, yeah. And not just toy makers, like my biggest art inspirations are Wayne White, uh, Alex Pardee, Ryan Heshka, um, you know, we've already talked about Mark Todd, um, Carlos Ramirez, like these guys have changed the way I look at toy making. And in general, they're not toy makers. Yeah. You know, so just absorb. That's it. I, I made my time about other people because <laughs> <laughs> I can't actually talk about the thing I want to talk about yet. But <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Janky Toys, so much for coming on the podcast and chatting this shit up and shouting out Toxic Fumes Toys because you're a good Woo! person. <laughs> toxic fumes what, what, what? i didn't have my ear on red sorry um and just yeah being able or being willing to give your time and be a part of this podcast that's growing thanks for having me man i've been looking forward to it so it was, it was awesome to be here and i appreciate everything you're doing on tap next episode it's great it's amazing you're gonna want to listen to it it's not right now though you're gonna have to wait till the next episode to listen to it oh when's that the next one cool toys on tap the next one's gonna be good too so stay tuned and and, and listen to that awesome